Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us in the studio today, it is sports writer for The Times and The Sunday Times, James Gearbrandt. And just to make life difficult for us, Gregor, we've got another James in the studio. The Times deputy sports editor, James Restall, is here as well. Coming up, we're going to tell you which uncapped English striker Gregor wants at Euro 2020. And we are picking our best Premier League player outside of the top two and discussing whether or not you love or hate uh, the man that may well be described as Marmite, that is Mike Dean. But first, to Anfield. The front page of the game today simply reads, we're going to win the league. As for the first time, Liverpool fans can sing that the title is coming to Anfield after their 2-0 win over Manchester United. The win continues Liverpool's procession towards their first title in 30 years and extends their lead at the top of the table to 16 points with a game in hand. Now, to make matters worse for United, well, they received the news that Marcus Rashford has sustained a double stress fracture in his back and is facing at least six weeks out, according to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It's been revealed he was carrying a single stress fracture in his back and now has a double stress fracture after the Wolves game and also has a piece of floating bone in his ankle, which will require surgery, with Rashford reportedly playing through immense pain in recent weeks. So... Where does, we'll start with United and this injury to Rashford, Mr Gearbrandt, I'll come to you. Uh, where does this injury leave Manchester United's season? Um, it's difficult, isn't it? I think um, it's obviously a huge blow, the loss of their kind of, their their most, their best attacking player this season, frankly. I mean, obviously, given that Paul Pogba has missed so much of the season, probably their, their most influential player, Um and it's such a it's such a funny one because, you know, United for all that they haven't really convinced us, you know, United are right in with a shout of that of that final Champions League place. You know, there's, it, it's you know, there's still so much on the line for them, um, and and you know, we'll come on to this, but but obviously that kind of, you know, it it will be interesting to see what measures they take to mm. cover this injury. Obviously, you do have Anthony Martial who can play as the centre forwards and he's very good centre forwards and you've got Mason Greenwood who obviously Solskjaer rates really highly and has been impressive in his you know what kind of little we've seen of him but it's you know it's thin in that department if if Rashford's you know injury is kind of seems to be potentially a a complex one and, Mm. and you know one that may not kind of heal overnight so big blow for United I think yeah a big blow Mr. Restall? Should we go with the Mr. Restall, Mr. Gearbrand? That might be the easiest way to go about this. Call um, me Mr. Robertson then. No, you're going to be Gregor. Um, but um, it, it's it's an interesting situation with Rashford because it's been reported he's had long-term back problems for, for quite a while. As we were saying there, it, 
it was revealed that he had a single stress fracture. That's now developed into a double stress fracture. Should he have been playing at all? Clearly not. Um, and clearly he needs a long period of rest and recuperation. That's why I think Manchester United have to go out and sign someone, mm. even if it's a loan deal, simply to take the pressure off Rashford in terms of rushing himself back. Because, you know, we saw last week how much... Solskjaer was desperate to play him to get them over the line against Wolves. But equally, you know, Rashford himself wants to, he's the kind of player who wants to be playing in every game as well. And I think just for all parties, he needs to be given the best possible chance to recover and fingers crossed be fit for the Euros. Gregor, how much of a decision for Rashford to play will have come down to the medical team or to the player himself? I mean both, but often it does come down to the player, especially if Manchester United have been so stretched in, uh, in attack. It kind of actually, James, you wrote an excellent piece about that this very subject only recently when Paul Pogba, you mm. know, he was kind of spoken about as he had taken advice from his own medical people and and uh, perhaps you know why is he not playing through the pain barrier as it appears Rashford has. Well, this is this is your answer really, you know. I think. When you when you play through the pain barrier, when you're you kind know, of putting yourself at risk, it is a risk for of of a longer sort of absence. And, and I, I think this is a reminder that actually that's that's very common. Most players, you know, you know, you very very rarely are playing at anywhere near a hundred percent. There's always some little issue, and often you know, the ankle thing. You probably waited until the summer and 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 have, have had cleaned out. But now that he's he's injured his back as well, you know, you, you think the le- the degree of kind of pain he's having to go through to play. It's probably not really fair. It's a, it's a cultural thing, isn't it? Remember when, you know, Mauricio Pochettino said that the key to getting Harry Winks to kind of take his game to the next level was, you know, convincing him that he was going to always have a little bit of pain in his ankle and that it was just something that he would have to kind of tolerate and learn to kind of play through. Um, you know, I remember when um, Jürgen, Jürgen Klopp was talking about Daniel Sturridge and, and he said he had to learn, you know, the difference between what what is what is big pain and what is only pain or words mm. to that words to that effect it's it's sort of sobering to think that you know a lot of the players that we watch every weekend are, you know are playing through kind of some sort of pain or mm. or, or discomfort on, on quite a, quite a lot of the time yeah. I've, I've got sympathy with that i mean i remember doing uh, tearing some cartilage in my knee and if, after every game it would swell up to balloon i wouldn't train monday to thursday and then but because we were in a relegation battle, this is when I was at Northampton, and we, you know I, I wanted to play too. I wanted to, I had to play for my future as well. It's slightly different in the lower leagues too. You know I was out of contract. Um, I played right through to the end of the season and I got it cleaned out in the summer. Well, I've had managers as well pressy till one time I had an, an ankle injury and I was getting injections to to play to play games just kind of, and it got to a stage where it was too much and the manager was was even out there trying to like mimic kind of block tackles with me saying. Come on, try and do this. Try and do this. And I was, no, no. Look, I'm not. I'm not fit to play here. Mm. So you do get pressure. I, look, this is Manchester United. I was playing for a team in League One at the time. There's different sort of realities there, but I'm sure he's their best attacking player. I'm sure if he says he's willing to play, that's the most important thing even for Manchester United. And at what point was the threshold for you? At what point did you decide to say to say I'm not fit to play? You know, it's really hard to kind of. To say that there is a threshold, it's, you you know yourself and that if it's pain that actually is something you can't sort of it, it can't escape your mind. It can't be something you kind of get over and focus on and playing adrenaline gets you gets you beyond it. If it's always there, or 
if it's kind of, if it's affecting your performance is the obvious thing. But there have been times where it's just it's just the kind of the pain, knowing that the pain is always there. If if it's too much, you can't forget about it. That affects you, and mm. and, uh, and you have to stop playing really. I mean, obviously, the situation that Manchester United find themselves in right now, then without Rashford, Mr. Gearbrand. It's funny to have to say that, but anyway, you obviously alluded to the fact that they are light up front. That is in part down to their own doing, the failure to bring in a forward option, having lost Romelu Lukaku as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um... So this injury, in a way, is you could blame even more on on the club itself for not thinking forward planning that they may well have an injury problem with Rashford or another player up front. Yeah, you're complete. Yeah, I mean that's completely right. I mean, obviously, the decision to let Lukaku go was obviously one that they they felt that they could they could ride out the consequences of that without kind of signing another you know senior centre forwards. Um, and now they are where they are. And obviously, the difficult thing, as as everyone always says about doing business in January, is you sort of end up chasing your own tail a little bit, like mm. you know. You might end up signing. Obviously, they would have loved to sign Erling Haaland, but he's gone, and now you sort of end up thinking, oh, you know, do we kind of sign someone who we don't necessarily, who might not necessarily be your first choice, but you kind of feel that you need to cover mm. for the rest of the season, and then obviously, you know, next season rolls around, and you know, Rashford and Martial are both fit, and Mason Greenwood has take sort of moved on another level, and now you have a slightly kind of slightly unbalanced squad, so. Yeah, it's not. It's obviously not an ideal position that they've left themselves in, mm. and obviously, and you know, we all know that Lukaku has been doing pretty well at Inter Milan as well, which <laughs> kind of sorts the wound a little more. <laughs> Just a little, but that is the problem in itself, isn't it? With January being such a funny month for for transfers, uh, James. I'm looking at you, so you know I'm talking to you. Um, because in a way, I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer have spoken about maybe bringing in a player on loan. I mean, this is Manchester United talking about bringing players in on loan. What? kind of player could be available to Manchester United in, in January? Bear in mind, they're going to want an experienced striker. They're going to want someone who can hit the ground running. Yet, where could they find someone like that who isn't wanted at the club already? Mm, I mean, it was I think I was reading recently that that Llorente had been offered back to Spurs, you know, as, a, as, a, as an option. Mm. And, you know, I think um, I think also today, I think Edin, Edinson Cavani's handed in a transfer request. So, mm. I mean, you know, but I just looked at other moves that have happened in the past, like Higuain to Chelsea, and it's kind of you really are you really need it to work. Otherwise, it's kind of you know it's just it, you know it, you end up with what could be an expensive mistake mm. at the end of it. Well, on the game itself, a Virgil Van Dijk header from a corner gave Liverpool the lead before Mo Salah raced away to seal all three points in stoppage time. Could have been a different scoreline had Roberto Firmino's effort not been ruled out by VAR. And the reason that was uh, not given in the end was because David De Gea was fouled by Virgil van Dijk. This has uh, led to a lot of debate on whether or not it was actually a foul. Gregor, let's come to you as our professional defender. Where do you stand on it? Was uh, De Gea fouled by van Dijk? I think it was, yeah. I know a lot of people people are saying the opposite. and and they also brought up the the recent uh, I think it was against Everton when uh, Calvert Lewin put put his arm in De Gea's face as he went to punch it and he turned away. I think this is completely different because he was as he went to catch the ball he was the the impact kind of sent him backwards. You saw his you know David jumped up and then he immediately was sent backwards. I think when you're trying to catch the ball that's a pretty 
a pretty big obstacle. <laughs> you know, I don't. It wasn't. It wasn't a really kind of clear cut thing. I think it is one of these things that's subjective, and it made me think as well about the 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 reaction of the players around the referee was really mm. really aggressive and kind of right in his face. Um, I mean, we're thinking about whether they should who should be taking this decision you know a lot of people have been saying about going over to see the pitch side monitor and stuff imagine after that reaction him having to go over to the pitch side monitor mm-hmm. the kind of pressure and to try and overturn his own decision and even when, uh, when you saw the the referee do that I, I think it was Bournemouth versus Norwich was it at the weekend mm-hmm. yes and yeah. there was a, an assistant coach I'm kind of going off the it's, it's like in the assistant coach was like, kind of leaning around looking at it the, and the screen was like in the Bournemouth dugout, basically, yeah, yeah. it was like, yeah, and you know, so he was kind of he was kind of commentating on it as it was happening. So I'm going off tangent here, but I think I was thinking myself in recent weeks that that is a kind of I want him to be the man who makes the decision, the referee. If it's if it's a subjective decision that's kind of split an opinion, I would rather it was him than mm. than uh, somebody in in Stockley Park. But there's obstacles even to that. It's this is it's open up an absolute yeah. minefield VAR but I think as a foul like he came to the right decision in the end what I thought was interesting was the fact that um, Craig Pawson the on-field referee um, yesterday was the VAR who allowed the Everton goal in that match against Manchester United in December right. and so oh. I actually think it's kind of that's a consistency of Pawson's own thinking towards these fouls and it just shows how subjective these decisions are yeah, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. a human it's a human decision that's being made we're not it's not the technology; it's the it's it's, yeah. it's it's the it's the officials interpreting it, and I completely take your point about the you know that would have been a that would have been a huge call for Paulson to then go over and overturn his own decision, having been you know with, with all with all those players crowding around him, but I do think for for something like that foul, I think it would have been worth him himself having a look at it again and making that decision again, um, and and you know if he had overturned it, then he would be opening himself up to. His own inconsistency, yeah. having having made that decision last month. Yeah. Does anyone think it it wasn't a foul? I don't think it was a foul. No. I think the goal should have stood purely on the basis of the Everton goal standing. Right, Mr. Gerbrandt, where do you sit on this one? Honestly, I thought it was really marginal. Mm. Um, it, I watched it and I was like, oh, I don't know. I really, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really on the fence with this one. Um, what what I really dislike is I really don't like. Um, sort of putting a big defender on the goalkeeper at like corners and you're basically you're basically trying to block the goalkeeper Mm. I think that's a little bit that is sort of the dark arts really isn't it whereas this one obviously it was in a slight I know I think it came from a set piece but it was it was sort of a couple of phases afterwards it was it was more kind of open phase of play I I mean I I hate this you know I don't I think people get a bit carried away with the sort of eyes on the ball stuff, but I think it was a genuine attempt from Van Dyke to actually make a genuine challenge for the ball. Um, I'm not sure about that. Do you not? Maybe I think he uh, went up to kind of I think put it was him cynical. off and, and sent him, but 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 he did. He was clever because it was not. It's not kind of clear. He didn't sort of look <laughs> glaring, did it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do, Yeah. I, I thought it was honestly. I thought it was really, 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 really tough decision. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'd have, whether I'd have blown my whistle. <laughs> but there we are. We've got a yes, yes and no absolutely. and a maybe. So I mean, basically, goalkeepers covered. like on social media and stuff. Former goalkeepers saying, "I don't think that was a foul." No. Mm. And I, you know, I do. I still do that. Sometimes yeah. these decisions. And there, I was up. thinking you'd be in the defenders' union, and you weren't. No, I have to say it was a foul. Sorry. 
Right. Well, it was another defeat for Manchester United. And there was a heated debate yesterday on TV. I don't know if you saw this one between Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher over whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done enough to earn more time to turn things around at Manchester United. Question is, would any of you keep Solskjaer on beyond the end of the season? Are you convinced he is the right man to lead the change at United? James. I think Solskjaer should be replaced in the summer. I think there are better managers out there and who knows, there may be, you know, more managers may come onto the market in the summer, but I think, you know, there are out-of-work managers out there at the moment that are better than Solskjaer, you know, the likes of Allegri or Marcelino or whoever. But I think with the right appointment and, I, frankly, I haven't reflected on who exactly it should be, I do think with the right appointment that history you could actually sort of judge Solskjaer quite kindly I think if you if United were to appoint someone whose sort of vision was kind of slightly allied with what Solskjaer has done but was able to sort of graft you know the training ground work of a really kind of elite manager on top of that so that yeah all right they can play that counter-attacking style that they're really good at but they also have other ways of beating teams um then I think that you know there may come a time when you actually look back and think, actually Solskjaer was was not a bad kind of bridge manager mm. for that sort of transitional period that they had. But I do think that at the end of this season, his time has probably come to an end. Well, before we move on from the action at Anfield, why don't we settle a debate that has been raging on Twitter all weekend around this United-Liverpool game? Would the Manchester United Champions League winning side of 2008 beat Liverpool's current team. It's fair to say there's a lot backing Manchester United's 08 team, but maybe they're more United fans than we might think. But um, James Gearbrandt, where would you stand on this one? Who would have the better team? So Alex Ferguson or Jurgen Klopp? I just don't think there's any basis <laughs> oh, for thinking that Manchester United would beat this current Liverpool team. Right. I just don't. They're not as good. <laughs> like, I, I, but... So that United team in that season won the title with 87 points. Liverpool this season, and they probably won't get to this, but at the current rate they're picking up points, they're on track for 111 points. They're the, at this stage of the season, they're the best team ever by points per game in the history of the big five leagues. I mean, it's just... uh, uh, that United, yeah, that United team was a great team, but I just don't, I, I really don't see how you can say that they would beat this Liverpool team. Anyone care to disagree and think actually no, the 08 team, much better? The silence is deafening. I know, isn't it? <laughs> I, That's not good. Look, you've got to, I, I've got to agree. I think, as I said earlier, they're the kind of most complete Premier League side there's ever been. Um the most devastating in attack. Look, Manchester United, they had Cristiano Ronaldo. He could win a game on his own sometimes. Um, and they had Ferdinand and Vidic at the back. That's one of the most formidable pairings, defensive pairings that there's ever been in the Premier League. But as I say, I think as a kind of unit and as a functioning 11, I think Liverpool are the best that we've ever seen, really. I, I, know, it's, I know it's heresy, but I think this Liverpool team are... I think they're better coached than United, and I know that is heresy. But I mean, uh, and and that's not that's not a slight on Sir Alex Ferguson, who was obviously just. I mean, he he probably 
remains the greatest manager. But you look at the teams and I, I think player by player, the Liverpool team doesn't kind of strike you as being hugely better than that United team. But they're just, you know, in terms of the kind of sheer relentlessness of their results, Klopp's team are more, they're more efficient and they're just more, as Gregor said, they're more relentless. They appear to be more invulnerable than that Manchester United team. The only other thing I'd add to this is that that team did a Champions League and Premier League double and I would not rule out Liverpool doing that this season. And if Liverpool do that this season, I mean, we looked at the earliest point at which Liverpool could actually win the league. They'd only just be out of the round of 16 of the Champions League. They could then focus the whole rest of the back end of the season on purely their Champions League campaign. You know, they're still in the FA Cup. I mean, there's, you know, there's, these trophies are not out of reach for Liverpool at all. I think there's been a big, there's been a big narrative that, you know, oh, well, Manchester City can now focus on the Champions League. Well, are they going to win it with that defence? I don't think so. And I think, I honestly think, you know, I would not be surprised if Liverpool reached the final again. Well, why don't we do a comparison of uh, the players from the Manchester United 2008 side and Liverpool's current team? I want you to just tell me who you would rather have. So, Gregor, we'll start with you. In goal, Van der Sar or Alisson? I think I'll go Van der Sar. Why? Um, I don't know. I think... It's blooming tight, <laughs> but everyone, everyone, even a lot of these, a lot of Manchester United players who were long-term Manchester United players who played with him and Peter Schmeichel would pick him. They've picked him in the past. I've heard them say it, and it's. I think that says quite a lot. I think mm-hmm. he's he's one of the best that there's ever been. Mister Gearbrand, <laughs> where's Brown? <laughs> or Trent Alexander-Arnold? I mean, come on, this isn't this isn't the toughest. I think this decision, is a gimme, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, this is not right. Um. It's got to be Trent, hasn't it? I mean, he's just he's redefining what a yeah. what a right back can do. I mean Yeah. Oh Wes Brown was Sorry, unlucky. Wes, he I was mean, unlucky not... to be up against Alexander Arnold. Um Mr. Estrell, Vidic or Van Dyke. Really tough on this. Both absolute warriors of defenders. Uh but I'd have to go for Van Dyke purely I know Vidic when Vidic came to United he had a transformative impact as well, but I just think the way that Van Dyke for me really has been the catalyst for what has made Liverpool go from being a very good team to a great team and I think that's for me I have to go Van Dyke. Okay. So that's one half of the Manchester United 2008 centre back partnership that Gregor was bigging up <laughs> ditched. But we can we could resolve that by bringing in Ferdinand against Gomez. Rio Ferdinand. Ah. But if I put Rio Ferdinand, if you put Rio Ferdinand against Van Dijk, it would be Van Dijk. I think Van Dijk so he is, would just win both is, times. is becoming the best. <laughs> the best, again, the best centre-back we've seen really in the Premier League era. OK, let's go to the uh, other full-back, wing-back position. Evra Robertson, Mr Gearbrandt. I think this is, this is, a, this is a tighter one for sure. Um, uh, I mean... I probably would lean towards Robertson. Mm. Um, you can't look beyond his 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 creative output. You know, um, I think he's a better crosser of the ball than than Patrice Evra was. But I think that one is tight, and I I, I do, you know, Evra Evra was a great a great player. Okay, let's move into midfield for Mister Russell Hargreaves against Fabinho. 
This is a this is a slightly tricky one mm. um, because I don't think we've. I think Fabinho is a wonderful midfield player, and I think he's he's improved uh, steadily throughout his Liverpool career. Um, and I think he's only going to get better. And I think you know if I was if I was picking between the two now and having someone that could sort of anchor that midfield, I'd, I'd probably go Fabinho. Okay, so Fabinho gets the nod. Gregor, Carrick, or Henderson. I mean, you've got to judge them purely on a head-to-head basis here. It's so it's Michael Carrick. He's a better footballer, but you're looking at J- Jordan Henderson has been remarkable this year, and he's a leader in that Liverpool team. So there's other characteristics, other traits, and you wouldn't say necessarily that Carrick would fit into Liverpool's team better. Mm-hmm. But Carrick's a better footballer, so it's him. Okay, Carrick gets your vote. Um, Mr. Gabrandt, Skulls, Wijnaldum. Yeah, it's got to be got to be Paul Skulls. Okay, it? yes. Any more to add to that as to why? Um, Is it just that obvious? No brainer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you've had some gimmies, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Had some good score is just a much more, much more prolific scorer from from midfield. Um, yeah, it has to be, has to be Paul Scholes. Okay, uh, Mr. Restall, Tevez or Mane? Um, Tevez, the more prolific player. Um, but in terms of who's going to get me out of my seat and do things that are. <laughs> Just pure brilliance and exciting and electric. Uh, I have to go for Manny. Okay. Gregor, Rooney or Firmino? Well, this is this is similar in that Wayne Rooney and his pomp, I think, is a better footballer than Bobby Firmino. But in Liverpool's front three, again, it wouldn't it doesn't function with the same without him. But uh, going head to head, I think Wayne Rooney. Okay, right. Wayne Rooney gets your... So that's five all. That is five mm, all. So this go. is the deciding one. <laughs> and actually, I don't know how easy this one is after all the easier ones we've given you, Mr. Gabrant. Cristiano Ronaldo against Mo Salah. Uh, I mean... Oh. <laughs> it's important. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this defines everything. I mean, if, it, if it's, you know, who is the better player, I mean, it's Ronaldo, isn't it? Right. That's just... Ronaldo is one of you know, he's one of the two best players of his generation, and uh, frankly, I think Ronaldo is probably among the top five footballers of all time who have ever lived. We're we're judging Man United, Cristiano Ronaldo, aren't we? Which yes. Is, which is arguably not quite the finished article, but he was still even back then. I think he won he won his first Ballon d'Or when he was at Manchester United, didn't he? With his stepovers and spaghetti in his hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all that. <laughs> um, I think. I mean, Mo Salah is obviously he's he's outstanding. He's he's a brilliant, brilliant player, but I just think Ronaldo was operating at a slightly a slightly higher level. For me. So you've gone for Ronaldo, which means it would be the Manchester United team of two thousand and eight. That, kind of but that to, is the head to head battle. We said as well mm. that as a collective Liverpool. Yes. That you know still somehow without with, with having all these stars in their team, it's still more all about the collective for mm. Liverpool, which I think. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, Tony Cascarino in the game today has explained why he thinks Wolves' Adama Traore is the best player in the Premier League outside of Liverpool and Manchester City squads. The Spanish speed demon has lit up the Premier League this season with cutting edge added to his incredible displays of pace and power. He has four goals and six assists in the league, helping Wolves to sixth in the table, including a man-of-the-match display on Saturday as Wolves came from 2-0 down to win 3-2 at Southampton. Cascarino believes this season he has eclipsed Wilfred Zaha as the best player outside Liverpool and City then. But do we agree with Tony Cascarino's choice? Mr. Gearbrand, who would be your best player outside of Liverpool and Manchester City that we've seen so far? I mean, if the question is who is the best player mm-hmm. who doesn't play for Liverpool or Manchester City, I think you're probably looking at Angola Conte or, or Paul Pogba. Right. But I do think that questions like this should, incorp- should have an element of form, mm-hmm. current performance. I don't think... I mean, obviously, you know, Pogba has been injured for a lot of this season. And I don't think Conte is having a vintage season. Someone that I would point to, I think, is brilliant. Poss- this is going to be my one. I know it. Oh, Possibly the best on. player in in their position in the Premier League <laughs> is oh. Wilfred Ndidi. Yeah, that's it. Ah, oh. uh, sorry. That's fine. Damn you, Mr. Greenbrandt. <laughs> 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 but go on. Um, I, I looked up some statistics, which I think are really interesting. Angolo Conte, in his Player of the Year winning season, twenty sixteen seventeen made 3.7 tackles a game and 2.4 interceptions. Wilfred Ndidi this season, 4.5 tackles per game, 2.9 interceptions. Mm. I think Wilfred Ndidi is the best pure defence. And, and it's, it's slightly unfair comparison because obviously we know that since that Conte is not, he's not a sort of purely defensive midfielder and he doesn't play in the deepest, he doesn't play that sort of deep-lying pivot role um, anymore. So they're not quite, um, they're not quite the same type of player anymore. In terms of an absolute pure defensive midfielder, I think Ndidi is the best in the Premier League. Okay. Well, Gregor, that was your choice as well. Is he? Do you think he's really underrated then in the Premier League? Yeah, well, I think that's kind of slowly changing. changing yeah. But I think the other thing to say is I think he probably improves every other team in the league, really. Um. Especially like Manchester Manchester City are relying on having uh, Fernandinho in defence at the moment, so I think he improves every other team, and and that's a that's a you know the part of the thing that, that Tony Cascarino was writing about was the most dangerous player. So if, in that sense, I actually still think the player he overlooked was was Zaha. I think Wilfred Zaha is still on a consistent basis of being almost unplayable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Traore has stepped up remarkably this season um, but he's still got to do it for a full season and beyond and, and I'm sure he will, it looks like he's he's maturing as a player and he's making the right decisions more often um, but Wilfred Zaha still can be at his best unplayable 
so I would go for him. Okay. James? Um, yeah, I was going to answer this in terms of, of Tony sort of saying the most dangerous. And for me, uh, one big factor of danger is when I'm watching football focus on Saturday and, and waiting to see who scored when a team when a team's goal comes up. And it's Jamie Vardy every mm. single <laughs> week for Leicester City. Um and mainly because of the way that he's become so economical in his in his movements and in his shot conversion, um, he is. If you if you if you if you're taking danger as being a lethal forward, I mean, you know, he's 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 one of the most lethal players outside of those top two teams. Um, and an honourable mention for Jack Grealish. Mm, yes. I think if any team relies on somebody, mm. it's Aston Villa. Uh, that is for sure. Right. The Everton striker, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, was tipped for an England call-up after he scored his 11th goal of the season as the Toffees fought back to draw at West Ham. The 22-year-old grabbed a spectacular 44th-minute diving header after Mason Holgate had flicked on Lucas Dini's corner. Now, um, Mr Gearbrand, I know you've written about Calvert-Lewin for the Times. What have you made of his season so far? He's making he's making the leap, isn't he? Um you know, this is a player who has registered. He's, he's, I think, in his previous three seasons in the Premier League, he's got one goal, four goals, six goals, and he's already got nine in twenty-one matches this season, um, including I think six in his last eight. Um, and he's just, he is making that step up. He's more, he's more clinical. I think he's sort of, he's almost kind of doubled his conversion rate. He's taking better shots. He's getting into better positions. Um, and I do think, I don't know if I had to write my Euro 2020 squad down now, whether he'd be in it. But I do think he's an interesting option because he offers something a little bit different. He he wins a lot of aerials um, and he just offers that dimension that the other strikers that sat at Southgate's disposal probably don't really, maybe Tammy, but but probably not quite to the same extent. And mm-hmm. and of course, he's young. He's probably if you if that final spot, for example, came down to Dominic Calvert Lewin or Danny Ings, I think Danny Ings is brilliant and, you know, I don't think anyone would begrudge him that final spot in the squad if if indeed it did come to that. But Calvert-Lewin obviously is a slightly more he would be a slightly more developmental pick he's someone that you could imagine taking to future major tournaments and that's Southgate places great weight in that as well and I think he just offers something he offers something that's a bit more different than Danny Ings but it may be that Southgate feels that he you know he doesn't want he doesn't want someone to come in and offer a different dimension He, he is very set on the way that he wants the team to play and but I think that Calvert-Lewin can kind of... Uh, I think he's versatile. And yeah, I think he he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's an all-rounder. He's, I, I've, said, you know, I've said this for a while on this podcast. I think he's been, he's been brilliant for a couple of seasons in, in his performances. And he's great with, with his back to goal. He can stretch defences as well. He's, as James says, he's brilliant in the air. His work rate is, is phenomenal. He, you know, he, there was little clips kind of packages when uh, he kind of led from the front in that Duncan Ferguson mini resurgence and he was really leaving them on defenders again. Mm. Someone I look, look, watch him play and I think I would hate to play against him because he works tirelessly at closing you down and he'll, he's not scared to leave his foot in there and then. And he's had a quite a, you know, he's had quite an interesting path too. He, 
Signed from Sheffield United in 2016 He'd already been out on loan to Staley Bridge Celtic And Northampton Town under Chris Wilder um, So he's not a kind of cosseted academy product either I think that shows in his game He's not. He's He's got a rough edge to him um, But the main thing is He's added goals mm. That was always the thing for him um, And striker's job is to score goals And he's done that So I think he's if, if he can continue to score Then he's definitely I would put him above As James says Above Ings And as the next pick for England How many number nines Would you have in the squad Sort of out and out That's, a, re- that's a really interesting question I think you, If you're looking at You know I Assume Kane's fit And Well I think that's a big assumption mm. But uh, I mean Yeah obviously if Kane's fit He goes mm. Tammy's got to go I think Yeah Um and then, yeah, it's it's really interesting after that whether you take another outright number nine. I did have a go at jotting, jotting down what my squad would be the other day. I can't remember if I picked another. <laughs> okay, in, your, in the in notes section. Literally in my spare time, this, this is how sad I am. Um, it's because you knew one day you'd be on this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> one day I would return. To the, I vowed I would return to the game podcast. Um, well, obviously I had Rashford as well. It depends. I mean, he's sort of mm. a bit of a hybrid player, isn't he? Mm. But... Um, I don't think you need more than three. It's tricky, no. isn't it? Mm. Because if you have two, you know, if you have three, then as you say, Rashford can play both. So yeah, as long as Rashford's one of them, then mm. then three yeah. is three is definitely enough. I think Kane, Abraham, and Rashford would would be enough, as Gregor says. And, and in that case, you probably wouldn't you probably wouldn't need Ings or Calvert Lewin. It's if Kane isn't fit mm. that yes. you're looking for another option. Well, while we're on the subject then of players forcing their way into Gareth Southgate's Euro 2020 plans, is there anyone else you think uh, on form right now that Southgate should be looking at, should be considering for their, for this squad, Mr Restorp? I think we did a bit of analysis in the Sunday Times um, around the, the week of the last qualifiers and I think on average six players uh, drop out of the final qualifying squad and are replaced by six newcomers. And it's not quite six newcomers because it's two two or three have been out with injury that would normally have been in. So realistically, I think we're actually only looking at two or three places of genuine kind of people coming from nowhere, people like Alexander-Arnold into the World Cup squad. There's normally only one or two that kind of really do surprise us. My left field shout for most indispensable player, player that England can least afford to get injured between now and the end of the season is Ben Chilwell. England have problems at left back if Ben Chilwell is out injured Mm -hmm. because you've got Danny Rose who is not even making the Tottenham matchday squad at the moment. All right, he's a sort of, you know, he's someone who you think of, he's, he's, he's a veteran player and, you know, maybe Southgate feels that he can trust him, but it's not, it's not ideal, is it? Is, you know, the, the form that he's coming into the tournament with. Luke Shaw, you know, hasn't been getting in the... I know he was playing at sort of left centre-back yesterday, but, you know, Brandon Williams has been keeping out of the team, you know, on a lot, few, quite a few of Manchester United's matches. I don't think Matt Target has had a particularly good season in an Aston Villa backline that is really struggling. Would you, not, would you not add Brandon Williams then? I think I would... I don't know. It's such, it's such a difficult one because that would be a real wildcard pick and, you know... He's very, you know, he's very lightly raced. There's, you know, he hasn't, we haven't seen a lot of him. That that backup left back slot is is tough. I honestly don't know who I would go for. I think he's a possibility though. I think, I think Williams abs- is, is a, he's got a, a chance because James says that is an area of weakness. On the counter, on the other side, I you know I would I would say Reese James should be in the in the reckoning, but because 
they have such a ridiculous <laughs> choice to make, even at right back with Alexander Arnold, Wan Bissaka. I would say Reese James is a better footballer than Wan Bissaka, but it's 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 going to depend on how Southgate sets the team up. There's no guarantee even that Alexander Arnold's going to start because he's often, you know, he's even played Kieran Trippier still, and and you know Kyle Walker's still around. Mm. Um, so I I think Reese James is someone who will be battling for that spot in the in the future definitely he's a, he's a fantastic talent okay well this weekend saw a unique milestone in the premier league in the world of refereeing when mike dean took charge of arsenal against sheffield united he became the first man to referee 500 premier league games he's certainly given us some funny moments over the years uh, there are compilations of those moments on youtube from the time uh, he let the ball run through his legs to his no-look cautions and puzzled looks at players uh, this season. He even pretended to keep the match ball from Sergio Aguero after his hat-trick against Chelsea. And as former Premier League referee Peter Walton writes in the game today, he is the Marmite referee. You love him or hate him. So, James Restall, do you love or hate Mike Dean? Oh, you got to love Mike Dean. <laughs> got to love Mike Dean. He's... um. He, he he brings a sort of entertainment value to refereeing, you know, and it, and it all adds to the spectacle of football. I, I thought it was quite funny at the in the as he was being presented with his with his award and they announced him. There was there was sort of boos from the crowd, and it's kind of you know, it's, it's the it's the pantomime role of the referee. You know, it's I think I think it's um I think he's great, and um you know those 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 brilliant scenes at Tranmere um, last season were just were just excellent, and just you know it's it just it's 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 another great thing. Uh, Gregor. What's your view on Mike Dean? Love or loathe? Uh, neither. <laughs> <laughs> he's a. Uh, but look, football's a very. It's too serious a lot of the time, and he's someone who kind of brings a touch of humour and, and lightens the mood sometimes. But the main thing is, you know, you can do that all you want as long as you're a good referee and you make the right decisions. And he and he is one of the best referees he has been. That's why he's. That's why he's gone for so long. And I often think that referees, the best referees, often do have a bit of an ego as well because they like the power um, and you'd much rather that than someone who is kind of don't have the, the courage of their convictions and is a little bit kind of lack of confidence it's the same as playing football you've got to be the guy in the middle of the pitch in a stadium full of 60,000 people and millions on TV you've got to have some confidence to, to make certain calls so I often think that's why a lot of referees do have an ego and he's certainly one of them referee when I broke my leg kind of possibly saved my career uh, mm. And that when the tackle was made, and he saw my leg at a kind of right angle, and I fell on top of a of the guy who made the tackle, oh. and obviously I'm in a bit of a state, and he ran rushed over immediately and said, "Don't move," to the to the player I was lying. You could easily imagine him, th- yeah, you know, yeah. throwing me off, and and they said uh, people said afterwards the the medical staff that. If he had, if I had moved, then it could have damaged nerves and possibly I may not have played again. Oh so that referee. Name is Carl Boyce, and he sort of perhaps saved my career. And then he also sent me a really nice card afterwards, kind of wishing me the best for the future and that kind of thing. So they're not all bad, these refs. No, <laughs> not at all. Well, I'm that's incredible. Up <laughs> <laughs> I know, but that is, that is a lovely story. As you say, they're not all bad, but come on, there must have been some bad. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what about that? Are they sometimes too matey? Because I imagine that they yeah. might be, and you think, hang on, I don't play with you. Why are you calling me? Whatever your nickname might be. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We were discussing that earlier, weren't we? About the or if a ref kind of calls calls me Robo or something, oh, I think, no. come on, I don't, you know, we're not <laughs> friends. I don't know you, pal. And that's that's the thing about the ego again. I think they kind of they like to be 
the guy with the power in the middle of the pitch and trying to be your friend, trying to be part of the game, <laughs> trying to be slightly too much a part of the game, perhaps. That's I'm sometimes start calling happens. you Robbo now. That's been known. <laughs> just, just not a referee. <laughs> I think we're on that level. <laughs> um, well, as we were saying then, Mike Dean celebrating 500 games refereeing, which is some feat, that is for sure. Uh, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Restall and James Gearbrand. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back on Thursday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.